Terrible Books with Kate. Doo-doo. Hi, I'm Laurel Woods. And I'm Caitlin Wilson. And this is Terrible Books with Kate, a podcast where I assign a book for Caitlin to read that then, might be terrible. And then I come back, having read it, and tell Laurel all about it. Awesome. And this week we are here to have fun. <laughs> We've had our... Uh, hot beverages and some delicious toffee and some popcorn celebrating the season and I just want to wish everyone a happy 2019 out there in the future oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> getting ready for the new year <laughs> ready for the new year and the first book of our new year is let's see oh it's right here and it is called Edenbrook. Edenbrook. And I'll admit that I didn't actually personally hand select this, but this was a listener suggestion, right? You said your friend suggested two books. Yeah. And I made an educated vote guess of Edenbrook. Yes. Yeah. I gave Laurel two two suggestions from my friend Caitlin, and then um, she chose this one. So Laurel, why don't you read the um, any blurbs and then the back of the book for us? All right. Um, well, first of all, I'll describe the title. Or sorry, describe the uh, the cover. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, we've got Eden Brook written in a very cursive kind of. I'm gonna just describe the vibe I'm getting from this book as very Jane Austen. Okay, solid. Is that is that accurate for the vibe of the book? I mean, I think the author really wants that to be the vibe that you're getting. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and there's a you're seeing a gal facing. Away from us towards, like, an orchard. I don't know what kind of trees. Um, do you know what kind of no, trees? No, I don't. No, okay. <laughs> she's facing out into an orchard, and she's wearing a white kind of dress, and her hair's up, and it looks very tooly and silky. and Yeah, like flowing. Flowing, and yeah, Jane austen And then underneath the title... That, that's above the title. And then underneath the title is a picture of like a manor house with a big hedge maze in front of it. Which that sounds... Are you for, are they forcing guests to walk through a hedge maze? <laughs> to get into the house. In now. order to ring the doorbell? <laughs> no. <laughs> the UPS driver is like, turn it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is written by Julianne Donaldson. Yeah. And on the back, we've got some blurbs, and it looks like all of these blurbs are written by wives of New York Times best-selling authors. Yeah. And I only know that because it literally says that. So, for instance, under one says, A Heart-Pounding Love Story, La La La, by Mary Mull, wife of New York Times best-selling author Brandon Mull, another by Cody Wright, who is the wife of... New York Times bestselling author Jason F. Wright. Another by Lynette Dashner, wife of New York Times bestselling author James Dashner. Yep. Why? I'm not sure why. It never addresses it, like, obviously, obviously in the book, because they're not talking about the blurbs on the back. But, like, <laughs> but there's a, there, there is a, breaking the there is a section at the end of the book. So, you know how some books will have, you, like, finish the book and there's still a, bu- a like, a whole chunk of pages. And you're like, what is this? Yeah. And it's, like, book discussion questions or um, some books will have uh-huh. an interview with the author. This book has both. You finish the book, and then there's discussion questions for your book club or whatever. And then there's also an interview with the author. And she never talks about it in, in any of them. So I don't know why her review team has been the wives of some of some authors. It's 
An interesting choice, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, I have two thoughts about this. Yeah. One is, were they not able to find any female authors? Right. I probably. And number two, I certainly know I don't exactly like my identity to be defined as only only the wife of wife of person (laughs) right (laughs) i mean i'm sure mary mole cody wright and lynette dashner are stand-up ladies stand-up ladies and have their own accomplishments and hopefully they are happy with the wives of all these new york times best-selling authors um but that's a that's a little bit of a bummer let me interject i don't know what the what the rules for blurbs are but this is julianne donaldson's first book I don't know if you, like, if you, do you have to have blurbs on your book? You could just release your first book without any blurbs because no one's ever heard of you. And I think it'd be okay. But I. Yeah, that's true. Do you know anyone, like, in, I'm trying to think if I know anyone who would be like, oh, like, who would be influenced by knowing someone was married to someone else and therefore their opinion has more credence because they are married to a particular person. Uh, the only reason that I would think of that is like the unpaid labor that wives and mistresses and whatever of artists do and are never acknowledged for. So Mm. for instance, like maybe these authors write their book and then their wives do like first edits before they send it to their actual editor or whatever. Mm. That's the, that's the only thing I can think of of why they would be appealing to wives of authors because maybe they've had experience mm. in that's like a, a really generous take on unacknowledged on editing well yeah i'm trying to <laughs> trying to come up with a good reason of maybe why they did this <laughs> yeah i mean they are all very positive i'll give them that yeah. but i think that that's an and, and i think that that's like a a, a publisher choice as well of what of what like goes on what the back of the book goes, okay yeah well, I want to contact the publisher and tell them, listen, you can release a book without any blurbs. In fact, sometimes the less blurbs, the better. I just want to read a summary on the back I'm of the book. I'm trying to think if we've read a book yet that doesn't have blurbs on the back. I don't think so. I don't think so. I just bought my mom a children's book mm-hmm. for Christmas, and even that has blurbs on the back of it. Kids don't care about that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but this this book does okay. have a summary on the back, doesn't it? Yes, yes, also? yes. Okay. And, I'll, and I'll now read that. So, Marianne Daventry will do anything to escape the boredom of Bath, like in England, I guess, and the amorous attentions of an unwanted suitor. Wow. Marianne Daventry is trying to escape sexual harassment. She is. Maybe like spoiler alert, but also like that barely factors in. It's maybe like the first couple of pages. And then we don't ever hear about that guy again. But okay, whatever. Good riddance. Um, Yeah. So, when an invitation arrives from her twin sister, Cecily... To join her at a sprawling country estate, must be what's on the front of the book, she jumps at the chance, thinking she'll be able to relax and enjoy her beloved English countryside while her sister snags the handsome heir of Edenbrook. Marianne finds that even the best laid plans can go awry. Hmm. Huh. Let me guess who the love interest for Marianne is going to be. Okay. It's it's gonna be that guy, the <laughs> handsome heir of Edinburgh. Oh my gosh! How did you know? Oh, it's called emotional intelligence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, when a terrifying run-in with a highwayman to a seemingly harmless flirtation. What? Wait, what? Oh, are they listing things? 
I'm not sure. It says, from a terrifying run-in with a highwayman to a seemingly harmless flirtation. This isn't saying that she has a terrifying run-in with a highwayman, which then turns into a harmless flirtation, right? Having read the book, I can confidently say no. No, but... That is not what it means. You said what, but which means what What thing there It just confusing. was worded weird. It was worded weird, I felt like. I yes, was like, yes. wait, what? What's well, because it's listing two things that are oh. both five five words long. Okay. Uh, Marianne finds herself embroiled in an unexpected adventure filled with enough romance and intrigue to keep her mind racing. Yeah. Will Marianne be able to reign in her traitorous heart or will a mysterious stranger sweep her off her feet? Um, what? Okay. So, um, <laughs> reign in her t- will Marianne be able to reign in her traitorous heart? Does she like do insider trading? This <laughs> uh, fate had something other than a relaxing summer in mind when it sent Marianne to Edenbrook. Yeah. Way to go, fate. Way to go, fate. Oh, and it includes book club questions. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe I shouldn't make fun of that. But to me, I'm like, okay. Who, what's the audience of your book that you're going to include discussion questions for them? I feel like if you have a book that's good and interesting. Well, let's, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Discussion question one. What does Marianne want at the beginning of the story? How does this desire shape her actions? I mean, I don't know. How does care. her desire change during the course of the story? How does Marianne get what she really wants by the end of the story? How do you relate to Marianne's longing to be loved for who she is? So that's the first question. <laughs> Go. That's like eight questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first block of questions. I've never been a part of a book club. Okay. I would really love to be. They're pretty fun. I have a sol- I'm have part of a pretty solid one. In the book clubs that you've been in, do mm-hmm. you answer the book club, club questions? Because this just seems like summarize the book. Yeah, we never have uh, because I don't think we've ever had a book that is that has questions at the back. To me, I feel like... Maybe this, these questions are just so that, like, maybe if people are in a book club but aren't necessarily inspired. Mm, like, maybe reading comprehension is a problem or something like that. <laughs> like, I respect that. You know, yeah. like, sometimes it's just difficult. So, like, what was happening? Maybe it tries to access, maybe it's trying to access um, different people's strengths. Moving on. Uh, tell <laughs> me about this book. Okay. So what happens? We start out in the beginning uh-huh. with Marianne at her grandmother's house in Bath. Her grandmother is mean. And she's just like a grumpy old woman and is telling Marianne, you're not very good at things. You're not very ladylike. Blah, blah, blah. You have to get better. And Marianne's like, oh, yeah, you have such a tender heart. I love you so much. I want to do what you say. But, oh, I've had to get past your tough outer shell to really see the love that's in your heart. And it's like, okay, whatever. Um, Wait, but it doesn't sound like her grandma loves her that much. It doesn't. Yeah, I know. I'm like, there's no evidence really of love. It's just like her grandma saying mean things. Um, and we kind of find out here why Marianne is with her grandma and not with her re- the rest of her family. Because she introduces the rest of her family, which is her dad. I actually don't know her dad's name. She just refers to him as father. So her dad is somewhere. And then her twin sister, Cecily, um, is living in town with some acquaintances, acquaintances that they have. And Marianne is living in Bath with her grandmother because her mom has passed away her mom died and so the mom died the dad driven mad by grief has split up the family sent his daughters off to live with appropriate relations while he goes to france and just grieves and so the grandmother has received a letter from cecily cecily says hey this woman that i'm staying with 
we're in town, which is London. We're in London, um, but for the summer, we're going to go out and stay at this estate of um, of this family. So whoever Cecily is staying with is somehow connected to this family. I think it's, she's a sister. She's a daughter in that family, and she's the sister of the lord of the estate. Okay. Um, and so they're going to go stay there for the summer, and in Cecily's letter, she's like, Oh yeah, and I'm gonna entrance this guy into marrying me. I'm gonna, I've got my sights set on him. And she she lays that out in the letter. Yeah, had she met him before? It's just like there's a rich dude. I'm gonna go snare him. It's like a uh, in Pride and Prejudice where it's like, uh, someone some wealthy young dude is moving into that house. Yeah, but instead of the parents being like, uh, kaching, like <laughs> it's the it's the girl them. <laughs> The girl herself. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's she's getting her plans laid for this guy, um, and so and she says, Marianne, come and stay with me. And Marianne's so excited because she hasn't seen her twin for. The grandmother in setting up this visit, she's like, okay, I approve of you going to stay with this family. I approve of you going to be with your sister because she's a proper lady. You're not. You spend all your time outside twirling. Okay, we got to talk about this <laughs> twirling. Quick interjection into the plot. Marianne loves to twirl. She says that word a bunch. And I'm kind of like twirling. What does she what does she mean? She just means spinning around in circles. She closes her eyes, throws her arms out and just spins in circles like a child. And wow. she's obsessed with it. It seems like there's some like trauma she's trying to escape there. I don't know. <laughs> like this might be a coping mechanism for her. I think so as I'm reading it, I'm kind of like, okay, what is the author trying to convey? I think it's that kind of thing of like, Marianne's not a normal girl. She's different than everyone else. She's yeah. free to express her feelings. And this uh -huh. is the way she does it. But it's actually a fault in her character because it leads her into all these messes. And I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. It's not actually a flaw. It's just like a weird thing that she does. And it's and she's so into it. I was I was reading. I got to page five and I put a sticky note on page five that said twirl count. Eight. She has talked about twirling eight times in five pages. And I'm like, okay, cool. We get it. You love twirling. So this this author is really trying to have it be like a Regency era, taking after Jane Austen type uh -huh. of novel. Ooh, what does Regency era mean? I don't actually know. Regency era is the is the era of time in which all of Jane Austen in which Jane Austen lived and all of her novels take place. Oh, so historical okay. period. Um you know the time? Girl. No. <laughs> we don't have Wikipedia open. Okay. Um, I mean, we could. We have phones. We could just look that up. You want to look it up? How much do you care about it? I kind of care. Okay, let's look it up. Okay, Regency era. The Regency in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland was a period when King George III was deemed unfit to rule and his son ruled as his proxy as Prince Regent. On the death of George III in 1820, the Prince Regent became George IV. The term Regency can refer to various stretches of time. Some are longer than the decade of the formal Regency, which lasted from 1811 to 1820. So about nine oh, years. Okay. So, yeah. So that's the that's the era of time that we're talking about. And that's, how the, that's what the, this author wants it to be like. You know, like many of us who have been who have read Jane Austen and really enjoyed her social commentary of the time. We've, she's been caught up in the whirlwind romance and thinks of just that era of time and England as a really romantic period. So I can support that. I mean, I read some of Jane Austen's stuff. I read Sense and Sensibility. I didn't actually read Pride and Prejudice until really recently. I mean, 
I felt I feel comfortable enough the, with the works of Jane Austen. I've read a few. I haven't read all of them. Um, I feel comfortable with, I, I guess, her style of writing and the kind of commentary that she offers. And right. I think on gender and roles and mm-hmm. yes, money and yeah. Okay. And she's so impressive. I mean, Jane Austen is an incredible author. Obviously, she's inspiring to a lot of people. A lot of people have written things that are like Austin-esque or aspire to be Austin-esque. And that's what this author, that's what Julianne Julianne Donaldson is trying to do. She was really impressed by Jane Austen, by the Regency period, just the romance that accompanies it. Yeah. Um, And so she, that's, and she, and she talks about, so she has a little interview portion in the back of the book and she talks about how she was inspired and how the character of Marianne came to be and how she just knew that that's the setting for her book. Yeah. I was listening to an episode of this podcast called bad books for bad people, but they said something that I was like, Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense where they were saying like genre defining books are by definition, like inspiring to a lot of people and that's how they're genre defining. Right. But not all of the, imitations are going to live up to that yeah something to that to that effect I guess yeah (laughs) but anyway yeah so that's that's kind of like what I feel like what you're trying to say is going on here is that like you get that the inspiration Mm -hmm. is honest yes but that the execution probably catches like it captures a part of that genre defining um feel it it captures part of that genre yeah it it captures the feeling of that genre but it doesn't capture the heft if you're going to try and write like Jane Austen you are already at a disadvantage because you're not living in the time period that you're writing about yeah she She was was a contemporary commentator yes she was intimately involved with all of the situations that she's that she's observing in her books so and she has the social understanding of what's happening and us living the way we do now we don't have that so if you're going to try and write like Jane Austen did you have to either be okay with falling short or do a ton of research so that you are writing about things in a, in a good way and it's apparent in this book that this lady has not done that type of research um, just for an example, before we, I guess I should get more into the plot. I've kind of gotten sidetracked here, but just for an example of that, um, a lot of the social rules of the time, I mean, were very, I want to say forbidding, but that sounds too intense of, of just like, um, the etiquette between a man and a woman of just you restrictive. Know. Yes. Yes. And, um, and you, and you're always addressed by proper titles and there's like rarely, I mean, for instance, you don't call each other by first names. And in this book here, they're always addressing each other by their first name and it's very informal. And so you're like, that's not how that would happen, but I guess we're giving some poetic license here, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) And there's some, there's some other things that'll come up later. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Back into the plot. Marianne is leaving Bath. She's leaving Bath to become to a young lady, she, yes. not to go to London. So oh, Cecily, no, to go to the manor. Cecily, yeah, Cecily's in in London is going for the summer to Edenbrook. Grandma in Bath is like, okay, you got to go and be with Cecily because she'll teach you how to be a young lady. Also, there's ladies at Edenbrook that you can observe, and maybe while you're there, you'll be less miserable because the grandmother has noticed that Marianne doesn't like being in Bath. I guess it's a city, it's a town or a city, 
and where she's like known as like a resort city right because don't yeah. people go to bath to take the waters <laughs> yes or something like that <laughs> well yeah well i and i guess where she lived with her family before her mom and dad and her sister they all lived in a in an estate in the country so marianne is used to living in the country having her horses kind of having her freedom to roam about on their land or whatever and she doesn't have that in bath so she's bummed mm-hmm. out mm. but her grandma is like mm, so like i noticed that Everything that I do makes you miserable for yeah. some reason, so maybe I should just send you somewhere else. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so she, um, her grandma puts her into a carriage with her maid and a hired guy to drive name? the carriage. Betsy. Betsy. Betsy and Marianne going along in the carriage. Halfway there, halfway to Edenbrook, their carriage is stopped and robbed by a highwayman. Oh, my gosh. <gasps> Is this the highwayman of back cover fame? No. Oh, what? <laughs> Wait, yes. Sorry, I thought you were. Just, I thought you were referencing the poem. I was like, no, it's not the highwayman of the 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 poem, the highwayman. Um, Anne of Green Gables recites it. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I thought that she recited a poem about the ocean. Anne of Green Gables recites a lot of poems. That's true. <laughs> okay, no, I get what you're saying. Yes, back cover fame. Yes, this is the highwayman mentioned in our summary already. He robs her. He takes her purse and a locket with a picture of her mother in it which the sentimental value is more than priceless yeah she's bummed out about that and he also shoots their carriage man oh my gosh yeah dead not dead he's not dead he's just shot and wounded and so marianne and betsy have to drag their carriage man james back into the carriage and then marianne has to drive the carriage to the nearest inn which i guess is a big deal i think julianne donaldson at this point is trying to like point out the differences of like young ladies would never have driven a carriage so it's so hard for marianne to do and i'm kind of like you know what of course she's of course she's never driven a carriage but also if there's an emergency situation you're just gonna step up and do it without worrying how hard it is i think you're just like this man is wounded let's get him to some place and i'll just do it but she like spends a lot of time being like this was harder than i had imagined driving a carriage is so tough i'm like okay cool marianne do you think she's trying to like i mean you were saying that there is no social commentary in this book, but is this like the attempt at social commentary yes. of like rich people don't know how hard work is? Um, yeah, yeah, because she's okay. a rich young lady, and she so she's never had to do anything. I see, right? She's also eighteen, but so. she also she deals with horses all the time. She's like it's like her big thing. Actually, when I was trying to describe this book to my husband, I was like, okay, there's two sisters. There's a like fancy flirty sister and then there's the horse sister to like differentiate <laughs> <That's> such... <laughs> <laughs> she just loves horses and i think julian donson and again is trying to be like marianne's so cool and different she likes horses and not flirting and embroidering yeah. which all the other young ladies really like so she's like the cool different girl so here we are they've come to this inn right they're arriving at this inn she walks in she sees a tall gentleman standing by the bar and she walks over to him. I need help in the yard at once. I sounded authoritative to the point of rudeness, but I was so anxious about James's state that I did not care. The gentleman raised one eyebrow as his gaze swept over me from my disheveled hair. Where had I left my bonnet? To my muddy boots. Wait, did she write that? Mm-hmm. That's, okay. a, that's a parenthetical. Oh, okay. Where had I left my bonnet? Okay. To my muddy boots. I am afraid you have mistaken my identity. His words were clipped, his tone cool. I believe you will find the innkeeper in the kitchen. I blushed at his disdainful look, and then my nerves, strung so taut with everything that had happened, suddenly snapped. How dare he speak to me like that? Anger flared hard in my chest, and pride reared its head. In that moment, I felt as strong and haughty as grandmother. 
I lifted my chin and said, Pardon me. I was under the impression that I was addressing a gentleman. I can see that I was, as you said, mistaken. And then she sweeps out of the room to get the actual innkeeper. So that's three paragraphs, maybe half a page. Uh-huh. This drives the rest of their story, this interchange that they have had. Who Who is this person? He, we don't find out for a little while. Mm-hmm. He's just a fancy gentleman. Um, this interchange that they have had really affects him because she called him not a gentleman. And he's really affected by the wow. words of a str- total stranger. He really cares what she thinks of him. Because uh-huh. of fragile masculine. Ah, yes. Yeah. So the next morning or later in the evening, somehow, when whenever they're taking care of her carriage man, James, she encounters this guy again. And he's like, let me apologize for how I acted earlier. And she's like, oh, okay. And then they like are friends. So they were maybe enemies for like 20 minutes. I want to point this out because I think this is her attempt at like a Mr. Darcy type character uh-huh. where they, their initial interaction is not great mm-hmm. and they hate each other. Right. But Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth <laughs> hated each other for a long time. And right. like over time came to the realization, Oh, this person isn't as bad as I think I, as right. I thought they were right. This interchange is three paragraphs. And then literally two pages later, he apologizes and she's like, Oh, he's so handsome. I guess I'll forgive him. It's really clumsy. I mean, it's not my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. That's he, a bummer. Okay. He doesn't tell her who she, who he is. Mm-hmm. He, he won't. He'll just tell her his first name, which is one of those etiquette things where it's like, okay, that's weird. She doesn't know you. She wouldn't. She hasn't been properly introduced to you. She's not going to be calling you by her by his, your first your name. First name. But she does. His name is Philip. That's all she knows about him. And they have dinner together. And she kind of, they're kind of like joking. Why do they have dinner? Because they're at at the inn? Because they're at the inn. So they're in like the the common area of the inn having dinner. He's like, oh, sit down. You're so pale. Have something to eat. They're having dinner together. And she like um, impresses him with her wit and like her hilarity. At one point she sings a song about cows or something. And it, it just entrances him because he's like, I've never met a woman who acts like this. And I'm like, yeah, because she's crazy. She's just bonkers. <laughs> You've never met a bonkers woman, I guess. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Eccentric. I, I, I don't. Why is she singing? What is the song about a cow about? Well, she like tried to tried to trick him that she's not a, a lady, not like a fancy lady, but she's actually a maid. I don't know why she's trying to like talk to him and like be captivating or something. So she's like, Oh uh, yeah, actually I have all these cows at home. And then, and then there's like a, it's like a teasing conversation back and forth. Uh-huh. And then she, and then just every time she like sees the tilt of his head or the lift of his eyebrow and she's like, Oh, he's on to me. He knows I'm not really a maid, but then she just doubles down and is like, well, I'm going to prove to him that I can play this game. Yeah. As well, well but, as okay. he can. Pause. Back it up. She's 18. <sighs> How awkward are you at 18? <laughs> I guess pretty awkward, but like, okay. But So I are mean, we granting her an allowance to be this weird about flirting? I mean, not not an allowance, but I think that it's like... <laughs> Having some understanding. Can we say that it's age appropriate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we but can. But that's very... Um, uh, that is off-putting to read, just as it's off-putting to watch yes. and then remember about yourself. Oh, it's uh, yeah. it's certainly uh, off-putting to read. I'll, I'll grant you that, <laughs> definitely. Well, okay, so here it is happening. 
um, he asked her about the, the names of her cows. And she's like, do people name their cows? I don't know. <laughs> and then she says, I saw an unmistakable twinkle in his blue eyes. And in that instant, I realized with a start of surprise that he was playing with me. And I'm like, okay, well, you're you're slow. This conversation been going on for a while. He doesn't believe you're a maid. You're not fooling anybody. You carry yourself differently. Whatever. When he looked at me again, his face was carefully smooth, but his eyes looked too innocent. He was definitely playing with me. You already said that. Well, he did not know how good I was at this game. And I put a flag here that says, not a real game. You are being dumb. (laughs) (laughs) And so she like names her cows. And then he's like, when you milk them, you sing to them. You sing to them. Do you not? And she says, naturally. And he says, I would love to hear what you sing to them. So she, instead of admitting that she's like, I'm not really a maid. I don't have cows. Please stop playing this weird game. I don't know how to flirt. She's just like doubling down. She's like, of course I sing. I'm going to make up a weird song right now. She makes up a weird song about cows and sings it to him. <laughs> I love that. That's, oh, my gosh. The worst. It's pretty terrible. Wow. But How many the, verses is this song? It's like it's like two lines. Oh, okay. It's not, I'm not going to read it. I didn't like Maybe it. Maybe she doesn't know that milking a cow takes longer than five seconds. <laughs> She doesn't. She's never mixed milk to cows. And that's how I knew you weren't a maid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) She's pretty interesting. Well, okay. He gets, I guess he gets entranced by this conversation, by how well she played this game because he's like, what a cool girl. She's like comfortable enough with me to like sing a weird song. And so I really like her. Uh Um, And then the next morning she wakes up and she tries to pay for everything with, um, with, her money that she actually kept hidden the highwayman didn't find all her money he took a purse from the side of the carriage and then her locket but he didn't find all her money she has some of it hidden away still so she's trying to pay for everything and everyone's like oh it's paid by that gentleman and she's like what gentleman could that be oh my gosh take a wild guess (laughs) i know right there's like it's a solid chapter it's a whole chapter of her being like going to each individual person in the, in the inn, the innkeeper's wife, the innkeeper himself, the person who's taking care of their horses. And every one of them is like, I can't take your money. And she's like, well, why not? Somebody paid for you. Who could it be? Can you tell me his name? What is it? I'm like, you already know his name. It's Philip. You were having dinner with him last night. Get a clue, Marianne. <laughs> anyway, so they head out. They, um, they leave James there in the care of some their carriage men so he can heal. They hire a nurse for him. Oh, no. A nurse has been hired by the mysterious gentleman. Okay. Um, and so they head out and they, they get to Edenbrook. They walk into Edenbrook. They greet everybody. And who should be there but this mysterious stranger? <sighs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> he is Philip. His name is actually... Sir Philip of Edenbrook. Oh, so he gave her his middle name. I guess. (laughs) I don't know. No, no. because, you know, Sir would be his first name. Uh. It's a dumb joke. So they're there. I don't know. She gets into some trouble with twirling. She's twirling on a... Wait, how can he be so... Oh, because you inherit titles. Never mind. Yeah. Well, so she's confused because the one that... So... The whole reason that her sister is coming to Edenbrook, right, is to snare the Lord of Edenbrook. And she asks somebody, she finds out that the that the children of Edenbrook are four. Charles, Philip, and then two sisters, Louisa, and I can't remember the other sisters' names. Um, Cecily, is she just not important? Or what? I, yeah, she doesn't come into it. Oh, okay. Cecily is hanging out with Louisa in town, so we hear about Louisa. Charles is the one that Marianne is like, okay, 
Cecily has her cap set for Charles. He's the oldest. He's inheriting. He's going to be the one that Cecily's going to marry. Uh-huh. And so Philip is the second brother. And so she's just like, oh, cool. He's. A- oh, the extra he's son. Great. Yeah. She really likes him. Whatever. Um, she thinks he's a really great friend. They play really well at the made up game that they've made up. For <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she encounters him the first morning at Edenbrook because she slipped out before everybody was awake and went out to enjoy the beauty of the ground. She's finally in the country again. She's reveling in that. She is so overcome by beauty that she closes her eyes and twirls around on the river bank and slips on some mud and falls into the river. And then as she's walking back, she's like really embarrassed, but she sees somebody coming on a horse and realizes it's Philip. So she tries to hide and where she tries to hide is really precarious. So she falls into the river. Again. <laughs> <laughs> and so they have a whole commentary where he's like, why were you hiding from me? She's like, well, I was wet and whatever. She's, and he's like, you were wet before you fell in. She's like, I've fallen in twice. <laughs> that was pretty funny. So, um, in the course of like, Get, she gets dressed and like meets everybody in, in the house and she finds out that Cecily's arrival has been delayed. So she and Cecily were supposed to arrive on the same day, but something was happening, a ball in town. And so Cecily and Louisa have stayed behind and are coming a week later. And she's like kind of mortified because she doesn't know anybody here. She was invited by Cecily. She was invited by the lady of the house, but like through Cecily. It's like kind of inconsiderate of Cecily to yes. do it, that. It is. Is yeah. that pointed out? Is, um, is a little bit. an inconsiderate person? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> we don't we don't find out about her until later because, of course, she's not here. We're just dealing with the people that are at Edenbrook. So when Cecily shows up, we get to see her character a little bit. Um, so Marianne has this whole week of nothing. She doesn't have anybody there that she knows. She's just going to hang out with these people and get to know them, I guess. And since she and Philip already have their, like, game that they've made up together and they kind of have a rapport, they end up hanging out together a lot. Um, He shows her the library. He shows her all around the estate. And they just become better and better friends. Now, to anyone that is reading this book, we immediately see that Philip is flirting with her and is falling in love with her. You see that immediately. Mm -hmm. Marianne doesn't see it. And maybe we can chalk it up to her being really young and not knowing stuff about how people flirt or just how people show interest. But the whole, but until like probably three quarters of the way through the book, she's just like, oh, Philip is such a good friend to me. In fact, there's one point um, when she's like, well, me and Philip are going to be related someday because Cecily is going to be marrying his brother. So we'll kind of be like kind of in-laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nobody that I could, that I could imagine being a better brother to me than Philip. And I'm like, gross examine your own feelings you're in love with him he can't be your brother (laughs) (laughs) so um it comes about Uh uh-huh that as she's kind of figuring out the social dynamic here that she finally notices that everyone is calling him sir philip and not just philip and she's like wait a minute that's the title of the eldest brother who's the one that's going to inherit what Uh what's happened to Charles. And so she kind of finds out through some, some pretty deft, um, I want to say gossip, but just like, she doesn't, she's not point blank asking the guy, what's this deal? She like goes around and finds out. Good for Uh, her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She finds out that the older brother, Charles has died. And so now Philip (gasps) is the one that's going to inherit. Oh, (gasps) what? How was, is this not public knowledge? 
Um, it is, but she just hadn't she just hadn't paid attention before. Was it recent? Mm, fairly recent, yeah. Oh, okay. And so Philip isn't really used to it yet. He's not used to like the responsibilities that come with it, and he's not used to ladies throwing themselves at his feet just because of his money and his land, which is what Cecily is planning to do. If we remember from the back of the book, she's set her cap for the lord of this manor. So, at this point, Marianne, still not being aware of her feelings, realizes, wait a minute, Cecily is coming to marry this guy. And uh. she's like, she's like, I felt jealousy, but I didn't know why. And I'm like, you didn't know why still? I mean, because it's not like it's going to change. He would still be a brother to her, technically. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, she's having these all, So that's like, what you want. You've got it. Done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's having all these unexplained feelings. And, like, of course, the, you know, the reader is like, Oh, Marianne, you're in love with him. Just like admit it so we can move on. <laughs> Stop <laughs> analyzing your feelings all the time. <laughs> she eventually does realize that she's in love with him. There's like some grand sweeping moment where they, he's like um, writing a love letter. Why does this happen? Oh, I'm going to recall us back to Bath at the beginning of the book. And it's very briefly announced on the back of the book, too. So the, she's trying to escape the amorous attentions of someone in Bath. Uh-huh. It's an older dude yeah. who yeah, okay, who writes her a bunch of poetry. So it's like a Mr. Collins type of guy that she's like, I don't want him to be interested in me, but he is for some reason. Uh-huh. I hate it. Yeah. But an older Man, dude. This, this whole episode is going to be... One huge mystery to people who haven't <laughs> read any Jane Austen. Yes. <laughs> so um, she's trying to escape that dude, and he writes her poetry all the time. And um, when she was in Bath, there was an aunt who was living, Aunt Amelia, who was also living with the grandmother, and so was Marianne's chaperone all the time. So every time that uh, that guy came up and gave her a new poem. Marianne was like, I hate this. Here, let my aunt read it. And so the aunt reads it and is like, oh, I like it. Your poetry is so good. And Marianne's like, really? That's dumb. I, <laughs> I don't want it. And she's yeah. like, oh, if I could like hook them up. So like this, there, there's echoes of like an Emma type character in this of like, oh, matchmaking everybody else around me. She's like, I don't want this guy, but maybe my aunt Amelia will. So she's telling that to Philip while she's at Philip's house. And he's like, maybe we could finagle that somehow um, where we could write love letters as if from the person to the other yeah they do it and she but marianne's like i don't know how to write a love letter (laughs) (laughs) i don't know any feelings i can't write and does he come up behind her and like take her hand with a pen in it and (laughs) oh i wish (laughs) that would be the best (laughs) no he's just like well, we should have a lesson in romance. Oh, that's the end of the chapter, too. That's the last sentence of a chapter. So you're just like, you know, it's like it's like the cliffhanger of like, oh, what's going to happen in this next chapter? I don't know. Lessons in romance. Um, but they go in and he like teaches her how to write a love letter. And of course, the love letter that he's writing is very clearly directed towards her. Is like, he like... It's like it's like oblique in the style of the, in the style of the time. You can't come right out and say, "Listen, I love you, Marianne." It's like, "I long for you." Oh, this and that, and it's never addressed to her, and she thinks it's you know it's under the guise of writing it for these other people. So she thinks, "Oh, this is whatever Mister What's His Face is going to be saying to Aunt Amelia." How do you know that it's directed at her then? If it's so because of the burning looks that are interspersed in the descriptions of the writing and the way that she feels and the tension that suddenly enters the room and how Philip gazes at her intensely. (laughs) You can't do that voice. (laughs) So it's 
not like he's it's not like he's like um and your lovely brown hair and she's like my aunt amelia has blonde hair <laughs> no brown hair <laughs> <laughs> no it's not like that <laughs> Um, but I think after that, she becomes more self-aware and realizes I'm in love with Philip. And then she has a strong internal conflict because she's like, Cecily is coming here to entrance Philip. Uh-huh. I don't know about you. Did but the like, rule of finders keepers not exist? I mean, in the, the I'm, kind of thinking, I'm like, Dibs doesn't count. Her sister Cecily can't just be like, I call Dibs on this lord of a manor. You can't touch him. Because like, that's not how human interaction works interpersonal communication you can't just say i call this person in their mind i don't know maybe she did a bunch of research and she found that in uh in the regency era that was how communication worked <laughs> i don't think cecily has ever met this dude so she doesn't have like a prior claim on his affection it's just that she oh and they're twins and it's not like she gets claimed because she's the older sister or whatever. well i mean she she uses that she's seven minutes older and she's always used that how do they know that oh well because i guess clocks existed but anyway <laughs> <laughs> also one person one twin comes out first and maybe you just like tie a ribbon around the one that comes out first yeah that's what i would do put an x on the bottom of the baby's foot with a little yeah, marker yeah. This is the one that came out first. <laughs> the, the other day I was like thinking about twins and I'm like, how did they used to know that there were two in there before oh, yeah. ultrasounds existed? And I'm like, I guess you could just kind of, I don't know. I don't know either. Oh, that's a gross thought. To Big surprise. About. Oh, here's a baby. Oh, wait, there's another baby. Anyway. So at this point, Marianne's realizing I'm in love with Philip. And, and so then we go into some history of her and Cecily. So Cecily has just always been the strong headed one. And Cecily is more beautiful than Marianne is. So Marianne has just always been used to Cecily getting her way. How is that handled in the book? Like, how do you know? Like, is it just like Cecily is more beautiful or is it like they describe her and like Marianne describes her as like the classical ideal. She Like, a, a few different times she refers to her as, Cecily was the ideal beauty, this and that, and just, like, describing her features. Okay. I guess ideal for the time. Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. Very pale skin, because she always remembers to wear her bonnet, because she's not out twirling in the fields, and so, it's, I, you know. <laughs> and when you twirl, right? <laughs> Your bonnet the, falls off. <laughs> what is that? The centripetal, centrif... <laughs> is it centrifugal or centripetal? Centripetal force. But which one is the one, one of the where forces. forces it out versus pulls it in? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, go on. Science people. Tell I'm going to force you to open up Wikipedia for this one. <laughs> um, so she's like, I'm not going to. She just. And so she like equates herself to kind of like a racehorse because she's into horses. So she's like. Because her legs break easily. No, she, because she's dealing with horses all the time, like her mind goes to horse analogies. So she's like any race that we're, that we're running, I am just, I just won't run it. And she like uses an analogy from a horse race, which a horse just like stopped running because he just didn't want to. And she's like, I I just take myself out of all competition with my sister. If Uh, my sister is, has set her cap for something, has set her sights on something, I just do something else, even if I initially wanted it. mm. So now that's a problem because she's realized that she's in love like with Philip. that's a real human emotion or that's a real human yeah. dynamic, I guess. But she's, I, yeah, I am, I have some problems with, this was a little triggering for me for some reasons of like not paying attention to what you feel and what you need and, and just like deferring to someone else's needs. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Marianne is doing at this point. And I mean, it's ingrained. She's been doing it her whole life. Just whatever Cecily wants, Cecily gets because she'll, she'll get it anyway. Uh-huh. So Marianne has just like spent her whole life 
kind of putting herself down so that Cecily could succeed. Hmm. And I don't love that. I'm like, Marianne, maybe stand up for yourself. It might work out differently than you think. Does that automatically make her character poorly written just because it's like uncomfortable uncomfortable for you like no you're right like there are other reasons why this character is not a fully formed character yeah or realistic character yeah it's like i mean the fact that you can relate to that aspect of her character shows that there is like a human aspect to her character right it's not like a caricature but that's definitely not favorite characteristic you'd pick for a character to have <laughs> exactly that you're reading about so what does she do she just is like i'm gonna shut my heart down i'm just not gonna talk to him anymore aren't they living in the same they're house they're living in the same house and they hang out all day every day they like go out riding together every morning and then they come back and play chess together and then they like or they they he says he's gonna teach her chess and they always end up doing something else because it's like more interesting <laughs> <laughs> they never actually play chess until like the end of the book that's like the happy conclusion is they're like oh we got and played that game of chess that we finally get to play and i'm like okay cool (laughs) that's weird that you're looking forward so much to this game of chess (laughs) but they just they're together all the time that's the thing Uh is that she's been alone in the house and there's one there's some other people there there's like his mom and then there's the clumpets i don't know it's a couple it's a married couple and i can't remember how they're related but i guess just like in the olden days these people would just have people to stay. You just went visiting I feel and like stayed at people's a, manners. That's a thing that happened, right? Like yeah. Even in yes. I don't know. What am I? What am I thinking of? Oh, all of the Wodehouse books have that, mm. where like Bertie Wooster just like goes to this person's house for a month. Yeah, and they just they just like stay around at each other's houses, uh-huh. which is kind of cool. Yeah. So I old, would like that old-fashioned Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they're there, but they're, but they're like, they're like pretty involved with each, with each other. This married couple, they're like, I don't know, they, they're into birds or something. And so they, they're just out in the grounds all day looking at birds. So there's nobody else for Marianne to hang out with. Uh-huh. And so she's just been hanging out with Philip and they're like really good friends and she really likes him. Um, so she says, okay, I'm just not going to talk to him anymore. And she doesn't. And he's so perplexed, of uh-huh. course. And she can't tell him why because that breaks some social rules that are all of a sudden coming back into well, play. I mean, she doesn't want to give him – she'd have to be like, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> My sister put dibs <laughs> on you. My sister called – what's it when you when you call the front seat? Shotgun. <laughs> My sister called shotgun. On marrying you. On, in a shotgun wedding. <laughs> yeah. My sister called shotgun on the uh, front seat of your of the matrimonial <laughs> car. You don't know what a car is. That's okay. Like, <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm having a really hard time finishing this plot. Yeah, because I was because about to I'm say, like, you keep on repeating kind of the same concept I, is that they're just kind of stuck. They're stuck. Well, How long I mean, does this go on? It, does it just keep continuing, continue, and continue for a long, um, long time? Or when does Cecily get It does. There? So, and... and the thing to remember about this is that it felt like it was going on for a long time. It was actually only a week in reality. Cecily was only delayed by a week. But, like, a solid chunk of the book is them building up their relationship. And, and she talks about days were spent in this way. And I'm like, okay, when someone says days are spent in a certain way of, like, hazy happiness or whatever, I'm thinking more than two. Right. Enough for a weekend to get in the way. Yeah. Days spent in a certain way means that it's a lot. 
And um, and apparently it's actually only a week. They build up this really strong friendship over a week. It just feels long. The author describes it in a really long way because she's trying to build up this relationship. Finally, Cecily gets there yeah. with Louisa. Louisa's really mean to Marianne. Marianne's excited because she's like, finally, my twin is here again. But turns out in the intervening time, Cecily and Louisa have become closer to each other. And they're kind of, they're not interested in the same things anymore. Cecily and Marianne don't really have that much in common. So Marianne tries to join in their, like, uh-huh. They're like conversations or whatever. And they're like, get out of here, horse girl. <laughs> Basically, they're like, oh, I can't believe you'd embarrass yourself like that. In town, nobody would say stuff like that. You're so naive. Oh, you're so ridiculous. And they're just kind of like pre- like acting like they're more worldly and cool than her because they've been in town and they know how to flirt with all the boys. And she doesn't because she's just hanging out with horses all the time. They're really mean to her about it. And they And she doesn't just be like. Look at this relationship that I had. <laughs> yeah. Well, she can't because right. she, because Cecily's there, and so Cecily's trying to entrance this guy. But actually, Cecily isn't trying very hard, and and Marianne judges her real hard because Cecily's like, "Well, I'm setting my cap for Philip, but this other guy, Mister Kellett, he's really good at kissing." And what? Yeah, she is in a relationship with Mister Kellett. Wait, she actually says he is good at kissing. Mm-hmm. But that's she not says, okay. So that's another bit of that didn't happen back right then right or right. i mean yes. maybe it did maybe it did but uh, certainly but like, not young like respectable young ladies wouldn't admit to it it's kind of right. the, harking back to the lydia character too of like lydia's just flighty and reckless and and doesn't get maybe the social graces of like you can't just be kissing everybody that you meet right um and this is lydia from pride and prejudice for yes. those who haven't read it we <laughs> Keep on referencing it. Lydia go, is the youngest daughter in that book. Go read it or maybe watch the movie. Yeah. Otherwise, because I, I was just about to really spoil it. So, but I'm not going to okay. say anything <laughs> yeah. more about Lydia's character. Um, um, so, and Mr. Kellett actually is connected with, so this is where the first cousin thing comes back in. He's the first cousin to Cecily and Marianne. And Cecily's just making out with her first cousin all the time. <laughs> what the heck, Cecily? <laughs> um and oh i i think i have to go back in time because when she was leaving bath the grandmother was like listen i'm really displeased with my grandnephew or whatever nephew other grandson your cousin mr kellett he was the one who was initially going to inherit but he's not acting in a proper manner i'm cutting him out and i'm you're going to get all my inheritance wait who's gonna get all of marianne Oh, Cecily is not. And Marianne's kind of like, uh, and she's like, oh, that's uncomfortable. But then she remembers, oh, Cecily's going to marry a lord. So she'll be fine. She'll get money from her marriage. Oh, Marianne isn't really thinking through the whole like game plan here. Yeah. Is she where she she's like, wait, I'm getting all the money. Cecily's already made it clear that she likes rich dudes. Yeah. She isn't pursuing one rich dude. She's kicking, kissing a different rich dude who is no longer going to be rich. Yeah. Cecily can't marry me. So therefore, <laughs> she'll have to revert back to her old plan of other rich dude. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, but it's not made It's not made publicly known yet. I think the grandmother told Mr. Kellett, hey, you're out of the will. You're a rake and a scoundrel. You can't inherit my money. But it hasn't been, like, been made known around the social circles because the grandmother is like, I can still revoke this inheritance from you, Marianne, if you don't learn to comport yourself like a nice young lady. And so that's part of the reason she's going to Edenbrook to like learn how to be sociable in these types of circles. They have a ball. 
Cecily makes out with that other dude the whole time, but then also tries to flirt with Philip. Um, Marianne is also trying to figure out her feelings for Philip, and then she's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. And then after the ball, Philip mysteriously dis- disappears. And everyone's like, where did Philip go? Nobody knows. Um, it's really concerning, but like, uh, uh, I don't know. And during this time that he's gone, Marianne like comes to the inner decision that she's like, I don't care what Cecily wants. I want this for my happiness. Philip is my friend. I know now that I love him. I am going to try and compete against my sister. So, I mean, there you go. It's like some character development, kind of. Boom. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I like my character development like I like my coffee. Instant. <laughs> so, she's ready and she's got this new idea in her mind. She's trying to figure out how she's going to do it because she's never been good at, like, flirting. And she doesn't know how to catch a man in the way that all the like respectable young ladies. So I guess they have like, Wait, why is this a problem? Because it seems pretty clear that she doesn't have to worry about how do you quote unquote catch a man because she already has like a seed of a relationship yeah. kind of in the making already. So why, why is she, this concern coming up? She doesn't think that Philip loves her. She doesn't think she'll be appealing to Philip. I see. Yeah. So she's got some self-esteem there of like, I'm not as pretty as Cecily. So of course he won't love me. And I'm like, you should just realize that everybody loves different people and he will like you. And maybe he doesn't like Cecily. Maybe just give that a try. Um, and so she's just, <laughs> 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 Oh, <laughs> I don't know. She so she she's ready when he comes back. The minute she gets back, she's gonna try and do this without being too overt because that's not allowed. Young ladies aren't allowed to go up and be like, "Hey, I love you. Let's do something about this." So she's gonna try and somehow bring up the subject and let him know that her feelings that she has feelings for him and she wants to be with him. Um, while she's waiting for him, she's painting one day in the orchard and she hears steps behind her and she's like, it's Philip. He, kn- this is our special place. He's finally back and he came to find me immediately. And so she's like heart pounding, doesn't quite know what to say yet because, oh, she's faced now with the reality of like, oh no, this is Philip. He's in front of me. I'm going to have to say something to him. So she doesn't turn around immediately. And because she doesn't, she doesn't see who she it is. hit over the head. She doesn't get hit over the head, but oh. she does get hand clapped over her mouth somebody grabs her around the waist and she's like okay this isn't philip who is this and kind of struggles around and then he talks it's mr kellett what he's come to abduct her because he's jealous and angry and bitter about her getting his inheritance he followed her to edenbrook in order to get back this money by kidnapping her and forcing her to marry him oh no wow that went from like i was like okay let's wrap this book up to like (laughs) what what (laughs) so he's so he um grabs her and he's like listen i've got a gun he's got a gun wait guns existed yeah her oh. carriage man was shot at the beginning of this. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> my, my grasp of history is real weak. <laughs> so she, he has a gun and he's like, listen, you need to act like you're j- overjoyed that I'm taking you away. We're like, we're running away together. We're going to have to run down to the road where my carriage is. People might see us. So you have to act like you're, you're in this and not that I'm, you know, you're struggling and I'm abducting you. And she's like, oh, this and that. I don't want to do that. I won't do what you say. But then he threatens her. He's like, if you don't do what I say, my associate will or oh no he's like i have your maid in my carriage if you don't do what i say i will send a signal to whoever's driving the carriage and he'll 
off your maid, basically. So out of concern for her maid, Betsy, she's like, okay, I'm going to do what this guy says. So they walk kind of, you know, appearing to be happily hand in hand down to the carriage. And then when they get there, he throws her in. He like, I guess the pretense is over at this point, And he like grabs her, roughhouses her into the carriage. Betsy's not in there. He <gasps> lied to her to get her to act the way that he wanted. He Ugh. could have just told Scandal. her, I'm going to shoot you. No, I guess, I guess. Cause she, I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> so they get, he, dri- he drives away. They get to an inn where he's going to like force her to marry him. Um, she at some point gets access to paper and pen and writes down a note in her boot and it's to Philip and it says, Philip, I love you. I need to tell you this because I don't know if I'm going to survive this. And then she tucks it into her boot. So it's not discovered. And then because they use like, um, quills to write, there's a sharpening, there's a little sharpening knife with the pen. She's able to get that and hide it in her bodice or uh-huh. wherever. I don't know. Somewhere in her clothes. And she's able to attack the guy. But she doesn't do it with very much verve. She gets up there and she's like, I have this whole plan. And then she like lightly stabs him. And it doesn't even hurt him. And then she he knocks the knife out of her hand. And I'm like, Barry Ann, keep a hold of the knife that you finally got that you finally got in your possession. And she just doesn't. And oh, oh, the whole fight scene is excruciating. Because it's mostly because it's coming from her point of view. And so you're just like hearing her thoughts. Oh. You're not like witnessing actual you're like hearing her try to decide what to do next in oh. this fight with Mr. Kelly. So she's like nervous and has mm-hmm. never been in a fight before. Yeah. And, and okay. you're like, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's so and hard like, to stop do. Him, stop him, stop him. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, just do something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think she does at one point get knocked out. And then when she comes to, she hears another voice. I'm going to take a wild guess. You do it because I want to talk about this. Who do you think it is? Uh oh, wait. No, make the guess, please. Um, is it the dude? You know, what's his name? I forget. <laughs> Philip? Is, is Philip. it Philip? Oh, he's so memorable. We're forgetting his name. Let me read it to you, actually. Let's read this. Here we are on page 227. When a hand grabbed my wrist, I fought blindly, too terrified to open my eyes and see my attacker. Through my panic, I heard a voice yell, Marianne, open your eyes. My terror immediately died, for it was a voice I knew as well as my own. My eyes flew open in surprise, and I saw the face of the man I loved so well. But it was raw with pain, so twisted in anguish and grief, that my heart broke open at the sight. I sobbed as if I would never be able to stop. He scooped me up in his arms as though I were a child again, and held me securely against his broad chest. You're safe now, sweetheart. I have you. Okay. Why do you want to talk about it? I cried into my father's neck as he carried <gasps> me from the room. Oh! <laughs> Excellent delivery there. Oh my gosh, I'm going to just applaud real quick. <laughs> there we go. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's not Philip. I, I flagged this because I was like, this makes you think it's Philip. To what end? And I think I was just, I was confused by it because it's not very long. It's like maybe a paragraph. That whole thing is, it. Like, I mean, but it's very engaging. That's true. Yeah, you think like, oh, she's going to confess her love to Philip when when he rescues her, but it's actually her dad. Right. And so in this... Way to go, dad. Yeah, good job, dad. And in this, as we're, as we're reading, like kind of wrapping this up after they're, after they've defeated Mr. Kellett and saved Marianne, and we're like, her dad is here, what? And it goes back a little bit where Philip is like 
I went to get your dad because I knew how sad you were that he wasn't around. Marianne was really sad that their family got broken up after her mom died. She's like, I had to be in Bath. Cecily had to be in London. Dad, you didn't, you weren't there for either one of us. And we're your kids. You should have been taking care of us. And I'm so lonely without you. I really love you. And I'm sad that you're gone. So that was really weighing on her all the time. And she had, in her and Philip's friendship, she had told him about that. And so he, loving her, went to find her dad and bring him back for her. And they showed up just in time because back at the house, the clumpets, the married couple who are out in the fields looking at birds all the time, they're like <laughs> animal something or other. They're looking at birds all the time. They Ornithologists. Were, oh, yeah. <laughs> they were out in the fields and they saw Marianne get thrown into the carriage. Like that last oh, little bit. Oh, clumpets. Yeah. So the clumpets like rushed back to the house and told everybody. And then Philip arrived at the house with the dad and they were like, Marianne's gone. We have to go find her. So they just started they just started going to all the inns in the area and trying to find her. And they came just in the nick of time and they saved her. So she's safe now. Thank goodness. Thanks, Clumpets. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Philip. Everybody. Round of applause. She they get back to the manor and they're actually going to have another ball to welcome home. So Louisa, the sister, and then the the other brother of the family has also come. Everybody's come up for the summer. They're gonna have a big ball to welcome everybody home. And so they're getting ready for that. And in taking off her shoes, Marianne finds the note that she wrote when she was in mortal terror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she puts it on her desk and she tells Betsy about it, because her and Betsy are confidence confidants. But um She's like, Betsy, don't do anything with this. I maybe want to give it to him, but also it's really nerve wracking and I don't, I don't know what I want to do with this. Yeah. And so she goes and gets dressed and when she comes back, the letter is gone. She's like, Betsy, Betsy. where did it go? She's like, I don't know, miss. And they look around for it, blah, 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 whatever. So then they go into the dance. She's dancing with Philip. At one point, Louisa comes up to her. So Louisa is Philip's sister. Yeah. Cecily's best friend now. Yeah. And Louisa's like, listen, I know how you feel about my brother. Are you true? Like, are you what does that mean do you really love him for him and not just for his money and his land yeah okay and and marianne's like what i don't love your brother uh, uh, <laughs> what are you talking about louisa <laughs> i don't even know a philip <laughs> <laughs> so then then louisa grabs her and drags her away which having just been abduct- abducted maybe not the best course of action louisa yeah. don't grab someone but whatever they go to the library and cecily is waiting there with the letter and Cecily's like, listen, I came in to talk to you this morning. I found this letter. I read it. Um, do you really feel this way? And Marianne's like, but Cecily, you were the one that's going to marry him. And Cecily's kind of like, ah, I don't really care about it. <laughs> wow. Because she's, I guess she's really. Cecily's an ambitious gal. <laughs> I guess she's really into Mr. Kellett. You know what? As I'm talking about this, maybe Mr. Kellett wasn't the one who abducted her. <laughs> because Cecily still makes out with Mr. Kellett at the ball. There's what? too many young men, young men running around this plot. You better, you better look it up. Hold on, hold on, everybody. Here we go. Maybe. Oh, it's not Mr. Kellett. I'm oh so my sorry, gosh. everybody. I got that mixed up. It's a Mr. Beaufort. So he's another young man who's kind of just been, but he's connected. How, how he's is? Con- how did she deprive him of of his inheritance? I don't know. How did she? I'm not sure. I'm really sorry about this, but I can't remember who Mr. Beaufort is. I think he is a friend of Mr. Kellett, and that's why he knows about the inheritance, and that now that Mr. Kellett isn't going to inherit, Marianne is. So he's like a fellow scoundrel with Mr. Kellett. They, like, pal around the country together, and that's how we found out, oh, Marianne's going to inherit all this money. Now I'm going to kidnap her and make her marry me. So, I mean, in a way, just a more violent and sudden version of what Cecily was going to do. (laughs) Yes. 
So Cecily's like, I don't care that much about Philip because I actually have another boy that I really like. And then Marianne's like, I don't approve of that, but okay, whatever. Why doesn't she approve of it? Because Mr. Kellett is like, because he's kissing her before they're married. And so he must not be morally upstanding. (laughs) That's another, I think that's another attempt to like harken back to the, the rules of the period, the social rules of the period. And it's kind of like, it's, it's really jarring every time it comes up because you'll be going along and people are kissing left and right and doing stuff that's kind of more modern. And you're like, okay, this isn't a problem, but then it comes up and then it is a problem because they're like, Oh wait, we are living by us by a social system of rules here. Right. And so Cecily, Oh, you're condemned by this system because you kiss that guy whenever you want. And Oh, Mr. Kellett, you take advantage of young women and kiss them whenever you want. So you're somehow lesser than, um, I mean, taking advantage of people is, yes, bad, but yeah. kissing. Kissing's fine. I mean. <laughs> Not for this time. Ah, it's just, it's inconsistent is what it is. Yeah. You, and so that's why it's so jarring when it comes up. Yeah. Um, and so Cecily's like, listen, Marianne, these feelings that you have expressed in this letter, you have to tell him. She, Marianne's like, I don't know how. And she's like, well, I do. And then she just leaves the room. Sheena Louisa just leave and Marianne's kind of like, uh, okay. The door opens. Oh gosh. Philip comes in. Was he like, did they have him listen to that whole conversation? I no, I think they gave him the letter. I see. And so he comes in and he's like, did you really mean what you wrote in here? And she's like, uh, she's like, and at this point, even still, she's waffling. She's like, uh, should I tell him? Uh, and I'm like, he read the letter. Just tell him, <laughs> just get what you want. <laughs> She ends up telling him, and then they have a makeout sesh in the library. Again, not historically accurate. Well, I mean, again, we don't know. Right? I, I like, guess so, yeah. I don't know. It's, like, a really difficult line to draw because, like, according to, like, the social convention of the time said no, right? Right. Like, I was reading, like, this thing. I think it was, like, on contraception rights or whatever, but... It was saying, like, yeah, according to the social convention in, like, World War One and World War Two, right, you didn't have premarital, you know. Relations. Relations. Yeah. But, in fact, immediately after those wars was when there was the largest number of um, single teenage mothers and shotgun weddings and that kind of, like, thing, mm-hmm. right? Where So it's like, yeah, the social convention says this. And I feel like that applies to all of human history where it's like, right. yes, the social convention says that, but. Who knows what's going on? Who knows going what's, on. what's actually going on? Right. That's not what's written down yeah. in novels and, and, right. and in the books that describe social conventions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It, it does seem like you're like, oh, but like you're judging what's your face and Mr. Kellett right. for the exact same thing you're doing. So right. what's the difference? Come on, Marianne. Marianne. <laughs> you're such a hypocrite, Marianne. No. Well, they have a real hot makeout session. It's pretty pretty don't tell me descriptive <laughs> what is it what does that mean i don't know just like at some point i was like oh is this oh this is really detailed <laughs> 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 just like gestures and like how she feels and i'm like okay i don't i don't think i need to know all of this this is a little private yeah let's just go to the next said chapter before, this is a family-friendly <laughs> podcast and that my family listens to it <laughs> And so we have to be... <laughs> can't talk about that. We can't talk about that. <laughs> um, everything ends up happy. Philip proposes. Yeah. He and Marianne are going to get married. 
everything's great. And then they go to a dinner and, and all of Philip's family is kind of looking at him and they're like, oh, wait, are we allowed to talk about this now? Because literally everyone in their surroundings has realized that Philip and Marianne, Marianne are in love. Even Philip realized it. Marianne is the only one that hasn't realized that she's been falling in love with so Philip like this whole time. So is it like a big surprise you're in love party? It's like they walk into the room and they go, surprise! <laughs> It should be. No, just like just like a dinner, and then like one of the sisters is like, uh, "Are we allowed to talk about this now?" And Marianne kind of like blushes, and she's like, "What?" And everybody laughs, and she's like, "Oh, everybody knows this. Oh, <laughs> oh I was so silly." And I'm like, "Yeah, you were, Marianne. You were silly the whole time. Just realize that someone's in love with you." She just compares herself too much to her sister, you know. I mean, that's a struggle that everybody goes through. You compare yourself to other people. You think, oh, no one will ever love me because of this and this. I don't look like Kelly Johnson down the street. Oh, Kelly Johnson's so beautiful. Is Kelly I don't Johnson know. I just came up with it out of okay. nowhere. <laughs> I'm just I'm like, is this getting to therapy level right now? <laughs> no, I'm just assigning, you know, the, the ideal girl. Maybe her name is Kelly Johnson. <laughs> I'm sure so, for someone it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it, it's just that thing where, like, Marianne finally realizes that she... I, I don't love it that she realizes that, oh, she has worth because a man chose her. But, yeah. I mean, she finally realizes I don't have to measure myself against my sister to feel worthy. Like, I am a person in my own right. Yeah. So that's good. Way to go, Marianne. So um, I don't think she and Philip get married in the course of the book. I think actually it ends with them um, just, like, being betrothed and then walking off and they finally play that game of chess. <laughs> Then they've been trying to play the whole book and then they're in love and everything is great. And then she gets to twirl to her heart's content because Philip doesn't care. Her grandmother's the only one that cares about that. So the, the end. end. Let's talk about some things about this book because outside of the plot of the book, I went on to Goodreads to read some reviews of it. Uh Um, because initially my friend Caitlin that recommended it to me read, she read me at dinner when we were talking her Goodreads review and it was really funny and like wittily written. So I went on to read everybody else's and there was one review on Goodreads that was so funny. It was actually a positive review for the book. It was a five-star review, but it starts out in this way. Even though I spend most of my time rushing around like a hummingbird on meth, I consider myself a true romantic at heart in that whimsical daydreamer kind of way. Um. <laughs> what? <laughs> First of all, what do those two have to do with each other at all? Wait. Rushing no, around wait. and then I'm being having a romantic? hard time connecting the two <laughs> concepts. Okay. I think that that means that like she connects being whimsical and daydreamery with being slow or moving. And maybe not getting as everything methy? done you need as <laughs> <methy>. <laughs> um, listen we can't judge hummingbirds on meth maybe they have really romantic thoughts maybe they're whimsical and romantic <laughs> yeah that's certainly what uh breaking bad led me to believe <laughs> meth leads some to some real whimsical stuff <laughs> So that was a, I mean, that was just a fun aside. It has nothing to do with the plot or anything. I was just like, what a weird um, comparison yeah. to draw. Cool, reviewer, whatever your name is on Goodreads. Good for you, reviewer. I'm glad you know yourself. Yeah. So, so there's just, I know, I don't know. And a lot, so a lot of the problems that people had with this book, which I also did, was like historical inaccuracy and just like, you don't know the societal conventions. So why are you writing this period? And like, it's pretty interchangeable. A lot of the reviews said, this is a, fairly modern story you could have set it set it anywhere else and just right. changed some things it wouldn't be hard to interchange with like 
nowadays. You just right. like make or the, the carriage. Or, yeah, yeah. Any any time. You just make the carriage a car and make the letter writing an email and everything's fine. Yeah. Like you could put it in another time and then it would and then you maybe wouldn't have so much trouble with the Yeah, but how can you find a text message laying on a table to hand over to your sister's boyfriend? I don't know. Yeah. How would that work? I don't know. Maybe it's a palm pilot and you're like, take it. I don't mm. know. <laughs> Yeah, it's a real bummer that paper didn't survive the 20th century. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe we're having it take place in the 80s. I don't know. It just it could it could have taken place in a different time, and it maybe would have right. It could and it would easily made the transfer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then everyone was mad about how many times she mentioned twirling. But one thing, so a lot of the tags that it was written. What would you say the themes of this book are? Twirling. (laughs) That's what I would say. It's mentioned so many times. Um, You do one of those word maps of this book and twirling is the biggest word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing that people talked about, it was under the tags most of the time in clean or clean romance or and, and and on the cover it says a proper romance and i think that's referencing that it's a romance novel of people falling in love but there's no sex uh-huh. in it yeah. so i think that's what they mean by clean romance right um which uh, okay i guess i can get behind um there's there's a market for that mm-hmm. if you don't want to get into the down and dirty of every single thing but um but again, it doesn't have to be set in the Regency era. It could be a clean romance in a different era. Right. And if you're going to have a clean romance set in the Regency era, I, I, I guess I'm just really hung up on the historical. Like, if you want to write like Jane Austen, maybe do a little more research. Um, Julianne Donaldson does a review, an interview, I mean, sorry, at the end of this book. I don't know who is interviewing her. Does, it ever, does that ever say? Q&A with Julianne Donaldson. It doesn't say who is. Maybe she wrote the maybe she you wrote the questions that. and then yeah. also wrote the answers. Okay, it just it re- it reads like an interview, and so that's why I thought somebody was interviewing. Maybe it's her. like a frequently asked questions kind of like thing. Like okay, that like makes book sense. signings and stuff. People um, ask her these questions. The second question is, how did you go about conducting research for Edenbrook? Was there travel involved? And then she says, researching Edenbrook, Edenbrook was so much fun. I felt strongly that I needed to actually see the places I was writing about. So I dreamed big and called a friend, and we went to England. For a week. Well, that's as long as Cecily was in London. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess a a lot of stuff happened. We spent a day in Bath where I found the gravel path that Marianne walks on in the first scene and the Royal Crescent where she lives with her grandmother. My friend and I spent a day driving through the countryside in Kent where a river called Eden actually does flow. We also spent a day at Wilton House, which is Neil Salisbury. There I saw the bridge that inspired the twirling scene and the gardens that Marianne and Philip wandered through. Which one, though? I mean, who knows? There's so many. I came home even more in love with England than I had been before. So that's her research I for mean, but this like, book. I don't have any frame of reference. Like, not to be, not not to completely shoot down your, your point here, <laughs> but like, I don't actually have any context for how long authors do spend in the places that they research, especially if you're not doing historic nonfiction kind yeah. of like stuff yeah. like how long yeah. do people spend when they oops, sorry i don't know um, probably could find out yeah i don't know do you know, know any authors N- no personally yeah, None. Dang it. and doing this podcast makes me less inclined to be one <laughs> frankly when there are people like us out there in the world oh yeah authors i'm we, sorry we're sorry we love you we really appreciate your efforts actually that is a thing so 
I want to say this. I do feel bad since we made so much fun of Robin Cook that one time. I feel really bad. <laughs> I'm like, what if authors are actually listening and they feel bad about like what we say? Uh, um, well, a from the stats on our <laughs> website, I can tell you that very low chance that an author is actually listening. Okay, cool. <laughs> But I want to say this about Julianne Donaldson. So she's a lady, she's um, in her like uh, biography in the back, uh-huh. talks about how she has four kids mm-hmm. and has spent a lot of her life just take, taking care of her family and then decided that she wanted to do this. So I'm like, okay, yes, you had something that you wanted to do and... Shoot to the stars. Yeah. She made her dream happen and she wrote this book of these characters that were floating around in her head. So way to go, Julianne Donaldson. Way I to go. Pretty good. Yep. She does say one more it's thing that I want to address, address about the Jane Austen like and the historical inaccuracy. inaccuracy. Um, how much did the books of Jane Austen and Georgette Heyer influence you? I don't know jo- Georgette Heyer. I've never read her. Ooh. But um, she says she obviously loves both of those authors. I gobbled up their stories, savored them, studied them, and even wrote college papers on them. As much as I love their works, I knew that I wanted my writing to be different from theirs. I wanted to keep the flavor of the Regency period, but make my story accessible for a modern reader. So I intentionally made my language a little less formal and moved my plot along with greater speed. So I guess that was her her goal. Was right. Yeah. It, it, this it isn't something where she was like, I have the most historical accuracy. It's more of a, right. you know, I wanted to adopt this frame of mind and yeah. And so that's it. I actually enjoyed it. I um, there were a lot of times where I just kind of like rolled my eyes, but kept reading because I was like, mm, yeah, I'll get into this story. I'll see what's happening. Um, that do you having heard having heard about this book, do you feel regretful? Do you wish that you would have read it yourself? No, I'm glad you read it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you read it, and I'm like I I think that you have a little bit more tolerance for. Romance novel, is that accurate to say that? That when you're looking for something light and consumable and fast that keeps your attention, right? Yeah. Would you say that this genre is something that you would be prone to go to? Um, No, actually. Really? If I'm looking for something light, this is maybe... If I'm looking for something that's fast, I'm going to go for kind of like a mystery kind of thriller i mean you don't always hit gold with those but like if i'm if i'm looking for something that i'm i know what i want it to be like i know i only have like some time to read i'll i'll go for that or i'll go for young adult novels i I go for a lot of kind of like the post-apocalyptic apocalyptic (laughs) kind of young adult things i i don't often go for go for that oh okay stuff yeah 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 Yeah. okay yeah so we both kind of have a Aversion. I, actually, when I was listening to our last episode, I mentioned something that there were like, I don't know, there were like some sexy bits almost. And I was, and I, in the episode, I was like, whatever, I don't care about that. Let's move on. And like, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of feel that little like uncomfortableness where I'm like, oh, this isn't furthering the story. I don't care about this. Right. And I mean, that's maybe something that, not maybe, that's definitely something psychological in my own like upbringing and, and stuff. But I just, I would rather just hear about the intrigue and like maybe the social interactions of it rather than like, the sex of it yeah 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 uh so 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 that's good for this because this didn't go into any of the sex yeah so, so clean clean romance clean romance, I'll romance. Go for that. um speaking so of, speaking of yeah moving into our second episode of 2019 that will be valentine's day ish so i wanted to give you a special valentine's day assignment okay um, so a few weeks ago you were talking about how your mom had 
a lot of uh, Latter Day Saints romance novels. Yeah. How how <laughs> how much exactly was the quantity you used? Um, all of them. She all of the. <laughs> Uh, all of the possible uh, romance novels written by Latter Day Saints authors. Uh, it feels like that. I might. I mean, I'm probably misrepresenting my mother, but it feels like yeah, that. Yeah, no, we've we've <laughs> complete we've completely stayed away from hyperbole on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, so I want you, and I know you're going home yep. for uh, spoiler alert. This is being recorded before Christmas. Uh, Even though we're releasing it backstage after. Backstage pass. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you go home for Christmas. Yeah. My homework for you. Okay. Is you walk into your mom's room of where all the books are, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. Can you picture it in your mind? Yeah. It's right next to the fireplace in the living room. Oh, that sounds cozy. Yeah. You're going to go up to that book's ca- bookcase and you are just going to grab the first one <laughs> that looks appealing to you. Okay. okay. Don't overthink it. Okay. Don't read the backs of the covers or anything. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Just, just. Can I look it. at the front covers to see which looks appealing to me? Let's do that. Because I'm not going to just yes. grab the first book. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to look at front covers to choose. You can look at the front covers. Okay. Yep. Okay. I accept this assignment happily and gladly. It's going to be great. Yep. <laughs> and then you're going to come back. I have to do no work and it'll be great. So yeah, so when I was in high school, my mom was buying a lot of these books, and I read them when I was a teenager. So I kind of remember some of the plots of some of them. Um, we'll get a newer one though. I want to see, see. Yeah, I'll see if she's if she's acquired any new ones. I want to see how ones. iPhones are now incorporated into. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Sounds all right. good. Well, we'll see you all in February. Uh, have again, have a happy New Year, and bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. Doo doo. Oh, gross. I just caught sight of another sentence that I don't like.